0: Children's Church can be dismissed. The rest of you, if you would, open to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of weeks ago, um, in Wednesday night class, we were all sitting there in the men's class and, and we were talking and And everyone, all of the men, the main, some of our main core here, Willie and Greg, well Willie wasn't there, but Greg and some others, they started all mentioning how they were going on vacation. They would be gone the next Sunday. And as I was sitting there thinking about it, I turned around and I said, wait a second, I'm preaching next Sunday. And they all busted out laughing. They said, yeah, that's why we're all going on vacation. So I kind of tricked him and I switched up weeks. I normally preach, would have brought, preached last week, but I caught you off guard in preaching to you this week. But somehow Willie Williams avoided me this morning. He must have been talking to Randall this week. But hopefully he's listening on podcast because I'm going to poke at him a little bit in this message. But while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, I'll give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. Now Paul was in prison while he was writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, most believe that this was probably written between 60 to 61 AD. And Paul writes in the first chapter to the church there, And he lays out and reminds them of the redemptive work of Christ to the believer. And then in chapter 2 is where we'll read, and we'll pick up here on verse 1. And we're going to read from verse 1 till verse 7. But I'm going to stop in between and try to explain to you some basic principles of the Christian life. And in your individual life. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, And you, now again, he is speaking to the church made up mostly of Gentile believers. So that is speaking us to us directly today. He says in verse 1, he says, To you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I looked up this, the difference in trespasses and sins, and, and, and each is, is its own sin in a sense, but a trespass is defined, you know, you ever, probably Randall knows about this a lot, but you ever see a trend, no trespassing sign. And so it's like a warning, hey, don't go there. But some of us, we don't heed the warning and we continue to deliberately go into that territory that we were warned against. And that's a trespass. That is when you have been warned or you know of the truth and you willingly rebel against God's word. So it's not an ignorant sin. It's not that you sinned and didn't know about it. It's a knowing sin and you continue to go on that. That's a trespass. And then there is also sins that we naturally do that we may not necessarily know our sins against God's word we commit these sins, and and he says that he's, he has made alive us who were dead in trespasses and sins, so it doesn't really matter of what age you were born, whether you continue, or what age you uh, were born again. As you grew in your life, some of us, you know, we were saved at a younger age, and we maybe uh, you know, our natural flesh, we sinned as as little children, not necessarily knowing exactly what we were doing until later. Now, some of us, you know, we waited later in life and we knew God's word, but we chose to rebel and we committed these trespasses. But he talks about that here, and I, I want to stop there for a moment. And I want to explain to you because he says... You, so he's talking to us individually, and he says, you he made alive. That is Jesus that he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. See, the, the world wants to uh, call everything a rebellion against God, sin in people's life. They want to say that you have a disease or a sickness even. And and a lot of them they want to prescribe something to you to make you better whether that's education whether it's medicine or whatever it is but what they don't understand is that that man apart from Christ is spiritually dead see i want you to Paul makes a contrast here it's a it's a it's a major distinction between an unbeliever and a believer an unbeliever is actually dead he's not just sick he don't just have Minor problem. And I'm sad to say, but there's probably in a, in a group or a crowd this size, there's some of you here are like the walking dead. That you're here and you may be physically alive, but spiritually, you're empty inside. Now, I want to explain to you these basic principles of what Paul is talking about here. Because in Ephesians, or I mean in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we won't turn there for time's sake, but please write these scriptures down because I want you to go back and study these things for yourself. I don't want you to just take my word, but study these things for yourself. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us that man is made body, soul, and spirit. You remember back in Genesis when when God, in the, in when he created man, he says, let us make man in our image. And in the same sense, as God is three in one, he makes man, body, soul, and spirit, three in one, made in his image. But something happens in Romans 5, chapter tw- uh, chapter 5, verse 12, will tell you about the man named Adam, the one that was created in God's image. Something happens. Took place whenever Adam sinned. You remember God said, When you partake of this fruit, you shall surely die. Now we know when Adam ate the fruit, he didn't die physically right away. That started the process of physical death. But spiritually, he surely died that day. Now, Romans, if you'll read that, it tells us that. Because of Adam's sin. Because all men have sinned. We are all separated from God. We are all born now. See we are not all. Made. Directly in God's image. Because we are no longer body, soul and spirit. Apart from Christ. We have no spirit. Our spirit is dead. The spiritual man is no, it's not alive. And so. Paul talks about. I'm going to try to look at my notes because I don't want to go too fast because half the time when I preach and I leave, I go back and I skipped over half of my notes. You might be here for a little while longer if I read them, but stay with me. But Paul talks about this body, soul, and spirit and how when you are born now apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. And he says, but you, he has now made alive. So he's speaking to the believer. But I want to speak to you, unbeliever, if you're here and you're trying to seek the things of this world, something that feels that what they want to call void or hole in your life is because you're spiritually dead. And nothing, no matter what you do, whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, sexual sins or whatever, nothing seems to feel that. Because you're walking around in a dead life. And let me tell you something. A life apart from Christ is very empty. I spoke to a, a, a very good friend of mine. has been a childhood friend of mine in the last couple weeks here. And one thing that I notice is, is about uh, someone who's spiritually dead is if you think about someone who's physically dead, a dead man doesn't necessarily know he's dead. He doesn't know any different. He just continues in the state that he's in. Now my friend here, I spoke to him and, and he, he, he has a very good job. Uh, he works probably about 70 or 80 hours a week. Uh, he makes triple digits. He's a single man. He's, you know, he, uh, he goes To work every day, he comes home to his fancy apartment in a high rise building in downtown Dallas. Now, to me that's not that great, but to him, that's what you know, that's like having a house on a hundred acres. And he continues this pattern. And his highlight is when he gets off work, he goes downtown and he meets all of these acquaintances that he calls friends that are there every night at the sports bars where he goes and he has him a couple of drinks and goes home and that's his life. And he's been doing this and repeating this pattern over and over and over. But he continues to call me about every few months and he talks to me about how empty his life is. And he doesn't know why. He he talks about how I just don't understand how I can't find the right woman or I can't do that. I don't have any family. I'm 34 years old. And he continues to live this life. And, and to the outside world, he has it all together. But inside, he's he's finding himself wanting. He He's dead and empty inside. He doesn't realize that he's dead. And it's a sad case because... There is so much life in Christ. We we hear about the testimonies of people who get up and share their testimony, and it seems like a lot of times we want to highlight our old life. Well, I did this, and I mean, we were wild, and we had all this fun, but then we got saved. No, no, let me tell you right now, the life, the fun, the all of the things that Christ, you think you have to give up something when you come to Jesus. None of the things that you give up compare to what a life in Christ has. I mean, I'm gonna tell you right now. We was talking about this morning, and I used to dirt track and all them things. Was fun, but I would trade that any day of the week to be the the husband and the and the father that the Lord has made. Amen. Now, I want you to think about that because he's talking about. A total contrast. And I just want to hit on that and then I'll, I'll, I'll go on to my next point. But I want you to understand something that if you come in here and you, no matter what you do, whether you've been through a, a service or whatever it is, but you're not, a, you, you have no point in your life where Christ has radically changed your life. I mean, he says, I won't leave you. We're reading in John chapter 14. He says, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. You won't be alone in life. So when you face the hard things, you're going to have Christ with you, in you, living through you. If you don't have that, you don't have salvation. It's a total different. Let me tell you, whenever people met somebody, met Jesus in the Bible, their lives was radically changed. That's what Paul's talking about here. And then in verse 2 he says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature children of children." Of wrath, just as the others. You notice how a life apart from Christ is all about me. You know that—that's—that's that's what my buddy doesn't understand is that everything he's doing is about what he can get, how much money he can make, what kind of enjoyment he can do, how, how uh, adding a woman or something would add joy into his life. He's not focused on anybody else. And that's what a, part, a life apart from Christ is. It's a selfish life. It's a selfish ambition. But sadly, we even transfer that over a lot of times as a life and believer. I we, mean, we think about it. A lot of us come to church and we want what we like. If we don't like the music, we think it's like a buffet and we'll just go somewhere else. We want to come in and get what well, we can get out of the service. Is the preacher. Good. Is, is the music good and all of these things? And if not, we'll just go somewhere else instead of worrying about our purpose there, ministering to other. And Paul switches here in verses 4 because he talks about you individually in verses 1 through 3. Now he's talking about the old life, how you were this way. And now it says in verse 4, And I want you to underline this. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. And now I want you to look in and underline anywhere where it says us or we or together. Because he switches from the singular to the plural. He's no longer just talking about you. He says, but God. So now he's saying a life in Christ. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved God. verse 5 even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved I like how he reminds us that it's not about you even your own salvation it wasn't about you you didn't work your way there you wasn't good enough you didn't all of a sudden Get You know, spiritually enlightened, and you know it all now. He reminds us now, it's not about you. It's about what Christ did. And because of what he did, now he has a great purpose in our lives as the church. And he says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that. I did some studying on that this week because it says he made us sit together in the heavenly places. He didn't say he was going to. He said it's already taken place. He's made us. That's eternal security right there. These people who say you can lose your salvation, what's he going to do? Kick you out of heaven? Because you're already there. Now, some had said... Well, this was a legal transaction that takes place. So as Christ legally imputed his righteousness on our behalf when we come to him, so we are in him and he in us. So as he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies, there we are also. I like to think of it as like a table there with your name on it, on the chair. You have a reservation. You remember when Jesus says, "I go to prepare a place for you?" It's there. He's already prepared it. You're sitting there. And I want you to think about it because we can't wrap our minds around eternity, but the Bible talks about how Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth or the world. So it's like it already took place in eternity. So in a sense, we are already seated with the right at the right hand with Jesus in eternity. Can you wrap your minds around that? It's already taking place. That's a good place for an amen. Amen. I, I just want you to wrap your minds around that for a moment. Now, there are some things here that he talks about seated there in the heavenlies. And I was going to tell a joke when Willie was supposed to be here this morning. But I was just thinking about that. He says he talks from the singular to the plural. So now he's he's talking about his eternal purpose with the church, with us, together. He goes from the singular life to the plural. Now he's talking about us. He's raised us up together. We're all going to be there together. Now some of, some of you are going to have a problem with that because you don't like the person sitting next to you. And I was going to say, you mean to tell me that I have to sit next to Willie Williams for eternity? For him to talk about how small my shirts are? I've I've been praying that the Lord would make me in better shape than Him in heaven. So I can still wear them shirts. I even thought, Lord, can we please deer hunt and let me get a bigger buck than Randall or I can brag to him and show him. I think God has a sense of humor and I think that would be a fun time. But I want you to think about this because he talks about how our lives now as a believer, they're not just about us. We have a purpose. He goes on and and he talks about the reason for the purpose. But in before I get there, I want to I want to say a few things because as As we are no longer to walk the same. We're no longer to live the same as we were. There's supposed to be a contrast as a life in Christ. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, it says that as a believer that our conduct, how we live, should be worthy, only worthy of the gospel. Now, a lot of times we think that's just about staying away from sin and, and keeping the command, commandments and all of these things. But he doesn't just say that. He goes on to say that the conduct worthy of the gospel is that, in verse 27, it says, in that you stand fast in one spirit. Now, that term there is like a... It says... The definition is like a military pride. People who are standing together, one purpose, one focus, and one goal. They're unified. You ever seen a military squadron together? I mean, they're looking for, they, they're in unity, 100%. Anything outside of that doesn't work. That's the way we're supposed to be as a church. We're supposed to be in unity. Then it says, with one mind, that we are supposed to be of one mind. And that literally means of one soul, sharing life together. If we are supposed to be sharing life together, how come we never hear from each other from week to week? that how you do with your wife or your husband? No, you share life with them. It also says, in sharing life when you read this in the scripture it refers to like a marriage you know the body the the church is referred to as the bride of christ in ephesians chapter 5 he talks about the position or the roles of husband and wives but then he goes on to say but i'm speaking about Christ in the church this is the type of unity that you're supposed to have this is what the picture is supposed to be of The believers is Christ in the church. He then goes on to say that a life worthy of the gospel or conduct worthy of the gospel is striving together for the purpose or the goal of the gospel. And that's an athletic term. means like a team representing someone or something while all contending for the same prize we're supposed to be unified as a team in sadly i don't see that in a lot of churches today i'm not just talking about here but all around and i I want, I want i want you to think about that when you turn on the tv and watch your sunday afternoon football games and you see the team okay they're all wearing the same uniform they're all there for the same purpose how you see them, do you see us unified like that? Whenever someone comes in here, would they see everyone on the same team as a family, sharing life together, all for the same purpose? Or do they see divisions? Especially when you start serving, or when you start getting into ministry, and then you start to see the things behind the scene. Are they seeing unity? Now, back in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, he's talking about the unity, what Christ has done, and it says, it's not just for you, but in verse 7, that in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to underline that into the ages to come, How we conduct ourselves as the church is going to affect generations to come. It's not just because a life together with believers is good. I mean, the Bible says don't forsake the assembly. And I think about us together, how many good times we've had, fellowships, how many times my church family has bailed us out of problems and things that that I've seen our church family do. Let me tell you something. People say all the time, well, you ain't got to go to church to be a believer. No, you don't. But if you ain't got a church family, you ain't got nothing. I'm going to tell you right now, my church family is closer a lot than my own blood family. And they've been there through the hard times. They bailed us out when I've got myself in trouble. There's been brothers and sisters there to to counsel us and to, to help us through them hard times. It's amazing. If you don't have a church family, I, I'm not just, whether it's here or somewhere else, get plugged in. I don't know how you make it without them. But also not just for the comfort of our own lives, but because we will affect generations. come Your children, my children, our grandchildren. We're going to affect generations to come. If they don't see the unity in the church today, do you think they're going to continue to seek after that? I I recently read a a poll of a study that talked about how many people claim to be believers, but yet how many of them don't go to church. And it was devastating. And it was saying that if it continues in that same rate, that in about forty to 50 years, there will be nobody. When our generation dies out, there's not gonna be, none of our kids are gonna be in church. Why? Because they don't see this. They don't see reality. They see us dressing up and going out and putting on a show and then we go home. We'll share life together. We're not in unity. We're talking and back, backbiting and all these things. And then when we, somebody does something to offend us, we just go somewhere else. That's not truly representing Christ. He talks about the ages to come affecting the generations. Now, I want you to quickly flip over and read and understand in the, the time that we live. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, now that by revelation he may known to me this mystery, as I have briefly written. Already, and you say, what, what, what did he briefly write already? What did he mention? He says in chapter two, verse 11, he says, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. If you're here and you're not a believer and you see all the promises in the Bible but yet you're not receiving it's because you're separated from God. You're spiritually dead. And he says, at that time having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once. Far off. Have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. Let me tell you something. Without the blood of Jesus. There is no hope. We live in a time. That is no that is not like any other time. In the history. Since creation. The Old Testament saints even. They didn't have it like we have it. We have now Christ in us. That's the mystery Paul's talking about. When God would reconcile both Jew and Gentile. All things under him. And now he would no longer just be with us. But he would be living in us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when Paul talks about the moment of salvation when you believe the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead enters into you and raises that dead man back to life. Listen, this is, we're living in the age of grace. It is, it's not about our work. It's nothing we've done. It's all about the finished work of the cross. And let me tell you something, without Christ, you're living in this world without hope. And he goes on to say, in verse 14, and I'll finish here, he says, For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now I want you to underline this. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you. I want you to think about that for a moment. He reconciled each one of us. Now we'll go back to the individual. He reconciled you to himself by the death of the cross. It's the blood that he shed on the cross. That reconciled me and you to God. That separation that we had, sin that separated us from the love of God, the Father. Okay, Jesus came and paid for the penalty of uh, of our sins on the cross through the blood. It doesn't say that he that it was our baptism. It doesn't say that it was our church attendance. It doesn't say because we kept the commandments. Nothing. It says what Jesus did on the cross. If you're here and you're trusting in anything else but the finished work of the cross, the Bible says, Paul actually says, that Christ will profit you nothing. It's grace plus nothing. That's salvation. And I I want you to, I want to ask you to be real with yourself this morning. And I want you to, Take it back down to the personal level here. And I want to ask you, have you been seeking something to fill that desire, that hole in your life, going along living as there is no purpose in life, as my friend does? Maybe you don't even know it. And you're here trying to maybe go to another service and try to get, you know, pumped up and, and, and fed so that you can go out and feel a little bit better. But then throughout the week it seems to dwindle down and your life is empty again. There's no purpose, no meaning. That's a life apart from Christ. That's not being filled with Him. Living a life for Him. I pray that this morning you wouldn't wait. I pray that this morning that you would see Christ for who He is, that you would trust in Him, the gospel alone, that's the death, burial, and resurrection, that you would come to Him, give Him your life, repent of your sins, and turn and trust Him. Would you do that this morning? Stand with me. And I'll pray, and the band can come up and play a song, but I pray that you'd be real with the Lord this morning. And if you are saved, I pray that this morning that that we could stand together as it talks about here, and that we could be of one heart, of one mind, one soul, that we could be unified and rightly represent our Lord and Savior. Lord, I just love you, and I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to even come before you and worship you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that that as I lived my life for so many years apart from you with no hope, Lord, that you radically intervened in my life. God, I just thank you for what you've did what you've done and continue to do in each one of our lives. Lord, I thank you for this church family, Lord. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you that they wouldn't wait another day, Lord, but the day is today. God, I just thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name.
1: in my transgressions wandering in sin I went searching for redemption down the road that I know When I was walking through the fire I was living on the run With my flesh lost in desire I was
0: Just a reminder um, for Cameron and Lexi's uh, shower, it is, even though it's decorated all girly back there, guys are invited. Uh, Starts at four o'clock, we'll have regular church service at five, Uh, we'll have a fellowship. Um, Anybody got any recommendations or ideas of what y'all want to bring or eat tonight? Tacos. Okay, let's do taco fellowship. All right, so bring yourself some tacos. I'll bring some stuff, and we'll have a little Bible study, um, and we'll eat and fellowship at 5 o'clock. Anything else?